I think me and my girlfriends are so close. Like there is nothing that we wouldn't talk about. Like you know, it's so weird that I would describe in great, great, great detail to my closest friend like a shit that I did. And how it was like so epic. And I'm like, you do, you. you do like to describe your DMs in great detail. Like, you know, like we never ever talk about masturbation. Like yeah. I don't even know if my closest friend masturbates. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, New York Magazine's podcast about sex. I'm your host, Maureen O'Connor, and this week I'm really excited because in studio with me, I have Guardian writer Mona Chalabi and Guardian filmmaker Mae Ryan, who are in the midst of a fantastic series called The Vagina Dispatches. Hi, guys. Hi. (laughs) Welcome. So I wanted you guys to come in because I have been watching with great interest a video series that you've made together called The Vagina Dispatches. There have been three episodes so far. Maybe... Can you explain sort of what the goal is, how it came about? (laughs) We're going to be like this the whole way through, aren't we? Like, you take it, no, you take it. (laughs) Uh, So we went out, Mona had just started The Guardian, and we went out to lunch together. And we were just Mm -hmm. sort of like tossing a few ideas back and forth, like... Mona mentioned that she had always been interested in doing something about vaginas. And I was like, yes, let's go for it. (laughs) But we weren't really sure what that was going to be. Yeah, I think that first lunch, a lot of it was us kind of figuring out what we didn't know, like where the gaps in our knowledge were, which Mm -hmm. it turns out like 10, 11 months later are like so much more than we realized at that lunch, you know? Yeah. That you're kind of like, I would like to know more about vaginas. I would like to know more about reproductive health, the way vaginas work, the way orgasms work. Yeah, but it was one of those things where I felt like I realized I didn't know my body quite as well as I thought I did. Like, I thought I had a lot of body knowledge, and I realized that I didn't. You know, like, Mm -hmm. we started looking at all these photos of vulvas, and I don't sleep with women, so I just haven't seen as many of them. It's like, whoa, the diversity out there is insane. And I've just seen this one diagram with, like, these two nice little labia in my textbooks. And before we even made it, it hadn't even occurred to me how important it was to see those other vulvas. I was like, that doesn't really matter. And now that I've seen, like, thousands of them, I'm like... this is really valuable information. There, there's an amazing scene, actually, um, in the first episode when you just talk about the vulva. When, Mona, you're paging through a book of, I believe they're black and white, like, photographs That's of right, vulvas yeah. mm-hmm. um, with a sexual educator. Actually, maybe actually with a gynecologist. gynecologist. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, with yeah. a gynecologist. Hilda. Loved Hilda. Loved Hilda. <laughs> Did you think about, is this too graphic to show in a video on, you know, the website of a major newspaper? Yeah, it's something that we definitely wrestled with a lot. Um, we made like a pilot and we actually showed it around to a lot of editors at The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always were sort of thinking, OK, how are we going to show vulvas on camera? And we just happened to notice that the gynecologist had this book. I was like, let's film it. We'll see if it makes it in. We'll make that decision later. And as we kept going, we realized how important it is to show these images. And I think that, like, she's showing these in sort of like a loving way, Mm -hmm. saying, oh, this one looks like an orchid. And Mm -hmm. just sort of it felt really important to show those images because we didn't want to just have representations of them and be talking about how important it is to know this and then not see it at all. Gosh, I I wish our listeners could see this and follow along. If you're at your computer, just open up the vulva dispatches and watch that scene. Because the thing that's really amazing about it is also seeing, like, I mean, graphic in the sense that it is just a full-on shot of just Mm -hmm. a vulva. Like, if a woman were to spread her legs and you take a picture of just the both labia, the clit if it's showing— um, and the yeah, the incredible level of diversity, mm. not just size, but of shape, of just sort of the way things are hanging and moving around. Um, I mean, in a way, it's even kind of a shame that it was black and white because there's also huge diversity in terms of color. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, there were so many things that we couldn't quite make it in. Although actually, Jody ended up speaking to this as well that, like, you know, people's typical image when they come to mind when that, that comes to mind when they think of vulvas is is something that's pink. And she was like. As a as a woman of color, mine isn't pink, and yeah. that, that representation doesn't doesn't match with my life. You know? Yeah, and actually, the the person who who made that photo book got in touch with us after the mm. episode. Oh, really? Came out. Yeah, he was so happy to see it in there, and that his work was like still being shown and used in a gyneco- gynecological context. Oh, wow! What what was his motivation when he made it? 
I think he really likes vulvas. <laughs> Just thought they're I think pretty. He's an artist. I think he's an artist. <laughs> he's on to another project with like cannabis and sex. Uh, uh, yeah. It was yeah, like I a little bit this. of a promotional yeah. vibe yeah, yeah. going on too. It's like, check out my new project. Like, that sounds cool too. Mm. <laughs> They're probably not going to. Maybe oh, not. It was the weed tampons, wasn't it? No. It was no. Like, yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> weed, weed tampons are a thing. Yeah. What? Explain. They're just like. For menstrual cramps. It, yeah. Oh, so it's a tampon that's been, like, infused with some, like, THC? Yeah, I think Whoopi Goldberg was pretty mm. into them for a time. Or like, <laughs> Oh, still is. She promote, she's, she's launched a new company, a weed company. And I think one of the things that they sell is weed tampons, but they don't call them that. They call them... Something else. Anyway, this is slightly <laughs> off topic. <laughs> yeah. There were so many things that I we know. couldn't include. It was kind of insane. Yeah. And, you know, this is a longer video than most videos on The Guardian. Each yeah. one's about like 15 minutes long. And even within that time, we just had to leave so many things out. There's this amazing moment when, Mona, you were visiting a surgeon who does labiaplasty, a cosmetic surgeon. Mm -hmm. And you say, I've never seen my own vulva from, you know, you can't see your it's if you're a contortionist, maybe, and you actually she holds up a mirror and you look at it for the first time. Half the population has one, but we're not really talking about it. Vagina. Okay. <laughs> How are you doing? Good things. Okay, you? great. Would you like a hand mirror to follow along? Um, or not I guess, really. Yeah, I've never seen it, so maybe. Okay. So let me just grab one. Okay. Oh my gosh. So. Um, the labia majora mm -hmm. on the outside, the labia mm -hmm. minora, the clitoral hood. Mm -hmm. Do you have any specific questions for me? This is so crazy. I didn't even know that there were labia minora until about maybe a year ago or two years ago. Like I just didn't, I just had and no understanding what the hell was down there. I think that speaks to the fact that a little bit more needs to be done to educate women yeah. about this topic. But the other thing it speaks to is the fact that you don't have a problem. Actually, I think I would fall more into the realm of women who would possibly like want. Really? Yeah. Really? Well, yeah. Do you think that's one reason why you wouldn't have been comfortable doing this? I think so. Because you almost don't want to know. It's not that I don't think I'm normal. Yeah. I think there's just a different category than perhaps what's been idealized. That's your voice, May, in the background saying that yeah. you wouldn't have been comfortable. This is really interesting. So did she actually give you a valuation, Mona, of it are, like if you're normal or not? She didn't. And she said going into it, you know, if you don't feel like you have a problem, then I'm not going to do anything that's going to encourage you to feel like a pro that, that you have a problem. Uh -huh. Which sounds great in theory. At the same time, though, when women come to her who feel like they have a problem from everything that we kind of felt like happened during the interview, nothing that she says during that consultation is, by the way, women have different labia, this mm -hmm. is okay. Like, there's nothing about your body that is unhealthy. Yeah. Instead, the consultation proceeds based on, like, how do you want your labia to look? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's actually quite damaging in a way, you know? And actually, I would take issue with that now in retrospect part of the reason why I didn't challenge her was also because I think I wasn't as informed as in hindsight I would have liked to have been you know like mm -hmm. you find out stuff kind of as you go and actually mm -hmm. in the latest episode that was released we did an interview with a pelvic floor therapist about women who have pelvic pain and one thing that she said to us was that some women who have labiaplasty come to her afterwards because they have extreme complications where actually they can't have penetrative sex because their vaginas are so badly damaged from the surgery and I wish I had known that when oh. we had the interview with the labiaplasty surgeon. I just didn't know it at the time. Wow. Yeah. What else have you found out sort of over the course of this series? Because it's very, in some ways, educational, not in a like sex ed for children way, although it could be easily like I could easily see, you know, somebody wanting to show like a teen girl some of these. But it's educational in a way that for adults, too, that you go through you know, you discuss what the average length of a labia is between, what was it, like one? Two to, to yeah, five well centimeters? Remembered. Yeah, yeah. Point two to five centimeters, which is a huge mm. range. Yeah. And like, in that scene too, you know, is I... Is that one labia, like, stretched out yeah, to its, sort of like its longest width. point? Got it. Yeah. Um, and in that scene in particular, I wasn't sure. I felt sort of uncomfortable sharing that about myself, but I felt like as, as someone 
who maybe couldn't relate to where Mona was coming from, that maybe mm-hmm. she falls into like a more idealized vision of a vulva, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Um, yeah. I felt uncomfortable seeing that and yeah. and hearing like, oh, you don't have a problem. I was like, do I have a problem? Mm-hmm. I've actually never been self-conscious about it, but I was like, should I be worried about Well, this? it's interesting because the word problem, when I saw that, what I assumed she meant was that like, if you don't feel bad, there's no problem. You know, that like... If you're if you feel okay about yourself, there is no problem. And I do think it's true that someone can feel bad with themselves and there still isn't a problem. Mm. Or the problem is the way they feel, not right. the thing they feel bad about. Yeah. yeah. And for plastic surgery, you know, that's why it's totally fine if women want to do this and they understand the complications because mm-hmm. it's plastic surgery and it's an elective surgery mm-hmm. and they sort of understand that. I'm not I'm not telling people not to get nose jobs either. Yeah. But like there can be real complications for an aesthetic procedure that mm-hmm. could affect your sex life. And yeah. that's kind of a big deal too. It's also interesting because say when you're going through and talking about labia shaming, the way people feel about labia minora that hang beyond the labia majora, in some places, if you show the labia minora, it's considered lewd. Um, that's the case. I believe it was in Australia. Yeah, it's like, in Australia. Right? Yeah, and they have people who have to Photoshop out the labia menorah in, like, softcore porn mags and stuff. Right. It's for, like, the, like, playboy there, for yeah. instance, that kind of thing, which then creates this sort of, like, idea that if that's showing, that's when something is, you know, wrong or lewd or just incorrect, whereas the case is, like, plenty of women's labia menorah hang out further. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird how it's weirdly tied up with sexuality as well. So do you remember there was that tweet that actually briefly appeared in the video mm-hmm. from, who was it? It was like a, I want to say a Christian A Christian mom who may or may not exist. Okay. She's like, okay. Oh, the ham sandwich tweet. Yeah. Have a ham sandwich. How, how would you explain it? Go on, yeah. Mike. So there's a ham sandwich that's got a lot, of, a lot of ham showing on one side and then like a very neat ham sandwich, not a mm-hmm. lot of ham showing. And it says uh, Taylor Swift's vagina is on the left and my daughters are on the right. So and the, the Taylor Swift being, sandwich is the one with the lot of meat. So I think the implication... Who, who is like godless, basically. Yeah. If the, you have a lot of sex or you have a lot of boyfriends, that somehow your labia menorah are going to get sloppy and all over the place and that's a bad thing. And, and you can understand, though, why that would frighten young girls, right? Like right. quite aside from the aesthetics of like what is idealized, the idea of like a really, really intimate part of your body dramatically changing is frightening. Yeah. It makes sex scary. And even when you're going through puberty, all of a sudden you're like, what is going on down here? Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Things are changing. That, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it, honestly, it's been incredible the way that like friends and people on the internet, complete strangers have opened up. So I had a friend of mine whose name obviously I'm not going to say, who said that when when she went through puberty and her labia minora developed, she was frightened. It was because she had masturbated. And so she tried her best to refrain from masturbating because she was so ashamed that she had destroyed her body as a result of masturbating. That's so sad. That's so sad. And there must be other girls that think the same because no one is getting their education about what labour is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've also gotten some comments from like men and women who have who have daughters, and they're like, we've been showing them our videos, like they're twelve years old, and we really like want them to know this type of stuff. Just I know, I feel like looking at labia is something that should happen in like, education classes or yeah. something. Yeah, it's so much more valuable to you. I feel like as an eleven year old, it's so going to be so much more powerful to see labia than to see the fallopian tubes and your ovaries. Like, which one of those is more relevant to your everyday life as an eleven year old? I know. Yeah, and that's, you know, we took around this giant vulva costume and everyone, we opened it up and it had a uterus. And everyone was like, fallopian tubes. And I'm like, who's, like, I, I don't interact with my fallopian tubes every day. Yeah. Like, I think in sex education, there's an emphasis on the reproductive system and like, this right. is how we make babies and this is how you're going to learn how you make babies. But I don't know that you need to, like, I understand that that's important, especially if you're, like, teen pregnancy and things like that. Like, people should know how the reproductive system works. Yeah. But it's also, like, not always the most relatable mm. to a 12-year-old. That was so funny. Actually, that's how I first found out about this project because, Mona, I think your Instagram story had you dress up in a labia costume one day. Uh, and I was like, what the hell is this? I need to know what this uh, is. Yeah, you Whatever it me. is. Yeah. <laughs> and you said it was a project coming up. So I was, like, waiting for what it was going to be. 
<laughs> yeah, we went to an incredible sex education conference, actually, and that's going to be the subject of episode four. Oh, wonderful. So we went to this um, incredible conference in Washington, and one of the young people there just had a vagina costume with them that they lent to us. So I just like, we had scenes of me just running around Washington dresses. I knew she was Mona likes to say. <laughs> How did people react to that? Oh, oh, we was... got kicked out of Lincoln's chamber. <laughs> <laughs> because we couldn't make any statements there. The Lincoln Memorial? Yeah. This is crazy because is a vulva an inherently political statement? Apparently so. Apparently. Yeah. I, I was wondering if we had a dick costume. They probably would have been kicked yeah, out. Yeah, so. you know, yeah. that also would have. Yeah. I can see that. There was also <laughs> these two British dudes and like one of them came up to me and he was like, oh, I've seen you before. And me as a total idiot was like... Oh, like, do we have some friends in common? He was like, it's a joke. Like, <laughs> you're impressed. Like, I'm sure Lincoln saw some vulva. I mean, yeah, yeah let's hope so. <laughs> the second episode you did was about periods, and that one actually contained a lot of information I didn't know. It was about stopping periods, and mm-hmm. you talk about the use of hormonal birth control to just not hide your period at all. Did this idea just come from your personal experiences? Yeah, I mean, I think for each episode, we sort of talked to each other about what it is. Like, we we had these big targets. We're like, okay, mm-hmm. we need to talk about periods. You know, uh-huh. we should talk about sex in some way. Um, and when we talked about periods, we realized that neither of us had them. So mm-hmm. that was sort of the jumping off point. You guys both have hormonal IUDs. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So much of this series was about finding the gaps in our knowledge. So while Mm -hmm. we're sitting down and talking, being like, hang on, we don't actually know how these IUDs that are inside our bodies actually stop our periods, let alone the possible health consequences of that. And just really talking through as well, like... I have felt like not having a period has been really, really liberating, right? Mm-hmm. And is it liberating because I'm able to live more of a male life, I guess? Because I didn't ever have super bad period pains, mm-hmm. right? So if I don't have period pains, which are the only, like, clearly objectively awful thing about periods, well, I don't so know bad having, about having them? Having to worry about leaking and stuff like that. Why is leaking so bad? It's bad because society... Oh, just because it messes up your clothes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't okay. want to ruin my I guess. clothes. <laughs> I guess. Like, I just I don't want think... period on my sheets. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. I don't think you can objectively say that that is annoying. Mm. It is true that there are, like, cultural norms at play. Yeah. But it is just annoying, mm. even if you don't have pain. Yeah. You know, I thought of this, too, because one point you make is that, I believe, May, you said that, you know, you started, you've been birth control since you were a teenager. And that is also the case for me that I think... I'm not sure if maybe we were just a generation where if it was a medical trend, it's kind of horrifying to think of medicine having trends, and yet that does occur. Yeah. Yeah. That when I was 15, I didn't need to be on birth control, but, you know, I just took birth control. And I think some of it was that, like, whatever, I, like, went to the gynecologist for the first time, and I wasn't yet having sex. But I think my parents were very much that I was like, I want to be on birth control, and they were not going to stop me. That if They were like, if she thinks she needs birth control, the girl should be on birth control, right? I just wanted it. I have no idea why. Mm. Some of my friends were on it, you know, whatever. Um, And periods were scary, and I knew if I was taking this pill, it would be really, you know, I would know exactly when it was going to happen. And, you know— I was an optimist. I was like, maybe I will have sex this year. So anyways, all that pulled together. I had been on hormonal birth controls until I think like two years ago. And basically it just occurred to me at some point that I was like, because, you know, sometimes people say that, oh, birth control makes this happen or that happen. And then I was like, you know what? I don't even know because... My body was different than because I was a child. Like, did mm-hmm. it make my boobs bigger? Well, I was a child. Of course my boobs got bigger over time. Yeah. Um. So I stopped taking birth control. And the idea that this sort of generation of women that sort of just don't know, like, what would our bodies be mm-hmm. if we weren't on hormonal birth control is really interesting to me. So did you find that that— are we fucking up our bodies? Does it matter? <laughs> it's it's complicated, and it's something that I feel like could be its own documentary. Mm-hmm. Is like looking at it could be its own book. Yeah, yeah, looking at the hormones that we're using on our bodies, and like I think you know one of the things that we're looking into is there's this shot that women take to um, prevent periods and Depo also Provera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, right. and that does cause like early on, onset osteoporosis like if you mm-hmm. start taking it when you're quite young and yeah. over a sustained period of time right yeah it was funny we had a 
uh, phone call with my mum, actually, who's a gynaecologist. Um, oh, really? Yeah. We're, How interesting that your mother's a gynaecologist. I know. I think it's not actually a coincidence that much necessarily <laughs> that I was like, I want to do something on vaginas. But anyway, so we were, we were talking about it with her and I remember specifically, May, you was like, oh, you know, there was this study that came out that links the pill to depression. And she was like, that was one study. Like, you know, you have yeah. to build such a body of medical knowledge around this stuff where you have to have a dozen studies to really understand a phenomenon. And the fact is, a dozen studies costs a lot of money. And I don't yeah. think there's enough backing for people to actually care about this stuff, even though it affects millions and millions of women. Why it's don't incredible. people care? Uh, I don't know. It's actually hard to say. There's this really touching moment in the episode of Periods when you talk about that famous Chinese swimmer who, in last summer's Olympics sort of just announced, well, I'm on my period, like, swimming's rough right now, which was sort of like a charming moment that I think everyone loved. But you actually found a woman who swam in the Olympics in 1948, Greta Anderson, who also had her period at the time when she was supposed to be racing. What happened in the 1948 Olympics? The calendar showed I was going to have my period right at that date. So somebody gave me some kind of injection to delay my period. Uh, I thought, you know, it may be better not to have the period. Maybe I'll be stronger. L let me just try it. Yeah. And I thought, well, go ahead and give me the injection, you know. Of course, it didn't work out, but then, <laughs> you know. So she was the front runner. Like, everyone thought that she was going to win, but she swam about 20 strokes, and then she just passed out and fell to the bottom of the pool in this, like, Austrian. Hungarian. Oh, it was Hungarian. Hungarian. Yeah. <laughs> Hungarian. Very, very beautiful man in her polo words. Player. A polo player. <laughs> I remember all the important details, mate. Like jumped in and saved her. Yeah. Jumped in and saved her. Yeah. If I hadn't got that injection, I probably would have been okay. But now the science has changed quite a lot. So me and mate don't have periods. So you don't have period now? No. Okay. But... What kind of... We have, um, like, a device inside of us that stops us from having periods. I, I wish that had been at the time. Yeah. Wouldn't that have been nice? Yeah. Would you have taken that if yeah, you could back then? i sure I would. Yeah. That would have been great, wouldn't it? I wouldn't have to worry about period and workouts. Things have changed. Things have changed. She's just a competitor to her core, it seems yeah. like. And what she's saying is somebody did something that ruined my competition. If the correct thing that would have made my competition better had happened, I would have done that. Exactly. Or yeah. I would have just free bled and swam that shit out, you know? <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> I hadn't thought of it that way. But yeah, you're right. She's a competitor to her core. Yeah. yeah, it seemed less about her feelings about herself as a woman as just the fact that she mm. was pissed that she didn't win when she thought she could have. Yeah, mm. for sure. <laughs> There's also um, another moment that I want to play because it was so shocking to me. And you interviewed a man named Elsimar Coutinho, mm -hmm. who wrote a book called Is Menstruation Obsolete? This also, to me, was shocking and surprising and a concept I hadn't ever thought of this way before. So I feel like I should be very honest with you to say that I don't have my period myself. <laughs> he claps at that moment. I know, it's kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit weird. Menstruation is not natural. What is natural is to get pregnant. Nature is expecting from your ovulation a pregnancy, not that you throw away your egg. The idea that periods are so not natural when, you know, you turn 14, you turn 15, it comes, it comes every 28 days, and it feels like it's very intrinsic well, to my body, you know? If you enjoy it, that's all right. I Go don't ahead, enjoy it. Do it. I wouldn't, if I said I enjoyed it, I would be lying, but it does feel natural. <laughs> menstruating is not normal. I say menstruation is an invention of civilization. No animal breeds in the wild. He points out when he says that civilization creates menstruation, what he really means is civilization creates the circumstances where a woman can live independently, can have her period, can never have babies, or can wait a very specific amount of time before she wants to have babies. And I think that is a valid point, to some degree at least, in terms of what you do with that information, whether it's better to stop the period completely or not, is a scientific question I don't know the answers to. Yeah, and it's something that we struggled with a little bit too getting into this point because what seems natural to us now is every 28 days a woman has her period. Yeah. Um, so 
we didn't totally buy that sort of side of the argument because he was sort of using that like you shouldn't have your period at all because mm-hmm. it's not natural because like cave women didn't have it. And we're like, well, <laughs> that doesn't seem totally right. And also just politically, there's something quite jarring about hearing like an older man saying that something that happens to our bodies is not natural. Something that happens to our bodies without interference. If I don't interfere with my body by putting an IUD in it, I'm going to have a period of 28 days. And here's a man telling me that what's happening to my body isn't yeah. natural. That's kind of jarring to hear, for sure. Well, it was weird because the minute that he said civilization created menstruation, all of a sudden I was like, is menstruation a social construct? And then, like, I, I just went crazy because, of course, that I was like, what? Why is this happening to me? Um, but again, it comes back to this same point that we were talking about earlier on about the lack of long-term studies, right? So right. it makes it really, really difficult to have an interview like that if I can't come back to him and say, we know that actually stopping the period does this. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, the conversation isn't taking place on, on the right kind of scientific grounds necessarily, which is really frustrating. It's all just sort of theoretical on some level. Yeah. And it's hard whenever you're interviewing a doctor like that, right? He has more medical knowledge yeah. than I do. So if he's saying there's nothing there's nothing negative about stopping the period, it's very difficult for me to kind of counter that. Well, some animals do have their periods though, right? Yeah, there's some there's some bats, some elephant shrews, and some monkeys. But the like, bonobos monkey, I think. Dog dogs have their periods. Yeah, I was I, th- I had a dog, dog that had a period. Yeah. Dogs can have their periods too. I, I've, I know that cats sometimes do also, but I think it's not the same menstrual thing. It's like a. One- he was also making the point that wild animals don't have their periods, oh, so like cats and dogs are domesticated. Uh, I guess it's true that um, if my dog hadn't been under my care, she would have been knocked up by all the neighborhood dogs. <laughs> for <but>. sure. <laughs> Good thing you're looking out for her. I know. (laughs) Mona, I think it's so remarkable that your mother is a gynecologist, not just for your curiosity in this, but that you also say that you didn't know your anatomy until really late in the game, too. Yeah. So in episode four, which is coming out, I interview her about why I didn't know some of this stuff. Um, It's a pretty emotional interview. Oh, wow. Uh, I'm quite scared, actually, to see the first cut of it. Um, But... May and I have a great editing process, so I feel quite comfortable that, you know, we'll, we'll I mean, not that I'm back questioning the way she raised you or anything, but no, like. No, 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 but I think it's a normal question to ask. And I, you know, I feel like for a viewer as well, it's a normal question to ask, which is why I wanted to put it to her. And I know that obviously most viewers probably don't have mums who are gynecologists, but the reason why we did that interview is because there is this larger question of. Okay, so if you're not getting the information that you need necessarily in school, where are we supposed to get this information from? Should yeah. it come from our parents? Should it come from our mothers? And. You know, to cut my mom some slack, the truth is that I probably wouldn't have wanted to have heard some of this stuff from her. You know, if my mom was like, what does your vulva look like now, darling? Like, (laughs) don't about your vulva. Are you happy with your vulva? I would have been like, get away from me. I'm going to my room and not coming out for a week. Hasn't she offered to give you a Oh, my God. That was after an accident. uh, What? A a vagina accident. Did I not tell you about the vagina? I told you about how I technically lost my virginity. What? (laughs) Tell it again. Okay. (laughs) So I went to a sleepover at a very wealthy girl in my neighborhood's house. And the reason why I mentioned that she was wealthy is because she had a seesaw in her back garden. And so me and this girl were playing on the seesaw, having loads of fun. And we were doing something we, we call it giving each other the bumps. You know, you like push really hard and then the other person comes up in the air uh-huh. and then lands on the seesaw. Oh, I'm my telling goodness. this in like the most long-winded way. Basically, another girl was there who was significantly heavier uh-huh. than the girl that I was initially Oh, my goodness. With. I can feel this coming. Okay. <laughs> and she got on the seesaw and she was like, I'm going to give you the bumps. And like my fear levels were rising, but she was big and I didn't want to. Anyway, I came up into the air and then landed legs akimbo on the pole. <gasps> oh, my God. And like blacked out and then like just very, very briefly and woke up like with some blood and like just oh feeling God. really, really bad. <laughs> So I called my mum and my mum just freaked out and was like, I have to look at you. Like, just let me do a gynecological exam. And I was like, no, no, no. And then she obviously has How loads of... How old were you at this stage? I was 11 or 12. Okay. And she obviously has loads of other gynecological friends who all were so offered. And in the end, I was just like, no. But we all just agreed that I had lost my hymen and we would just not investigate further. <laughs> and I was fine in the end. But yeah. Oh, wow. And even, actually, I know why you mentioned that now. Because after episode one came out, she watched it and her first text to me was... Why did you go to go and see the labiaplasty surgeon? I would have looked at your vulva. <laughs> no, Mum, I'm good. <laughs> oh, she could have said you, you're perfectly normal lady. Yeah. I mean, no one. Do you want your mum to look at your vulva? No. So episode three then is about the orgasm gap mm-hmm. and just orgasms in general. Did you find out anything that surprised you when you were learning about that? 
I didn't know that that gap was so big. Oh, really? Yeah, before. I mean, I had a feeling. It wasn't a total surprise that that gap was there, but it was definitely like, oh. 86% of men who sleep with women have orgasms. 62% of women sleeping with men. And then 75% of women who sleep with women. And the reason why we didn't give the statistics for men sleeping with men is because they're basically identical. It doesn't make a difference whether men are sleeping with men or women. They're just as likely to orgasm. Mm-hmm. You got really scientific. You had somebody who studies it actually just explain what an orgasm is, how you know it's happening. Although, as she points out, it's a little bit difficult to find because even in when she's studying it, someone will say I had an orgasm, but they don't have the physical reaction that she usually scientifically will define as orgasm. What actually is an orgasm? How do you define that? One way you can define an orgasm is by the physiology of it. So there are some highly stereotyped contractions that occur at orgasm. They happen that way every time, so far as we know. And these have been described as 8 to 12 contractions that occur starting 0.8 seconds apart, and then they increase in latency, so it's kind of this like, ah, ah, ah. (laughs) And you can document that physically. Yeah, so there are these, they use these butt plugs and they measure anal contractions in men and women because mm-hmm. the butt is, you know, gender neutral way to measure those pelvic contractions. I didn't even know that the pelvic contractions happen in the butt, too. I assumed it was just my vagina. Me neither. Yeah, we didn't we, know that either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I didn't know that men's butts were going to be contracting. When they orgasm. Yeah. And it it was sort of interesting, too, because men and women can be more similar because we do come from the same place. So, Mm -hmm. like, the fact that we have those contractions sort of makes sense because our genitals, like, in the womb sort of start from the same stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's complicated because, again, it hasn't been studied well enough, honestly. Like, So she's saying, you know, these contractions, you do see them in men and women when they orgasm and they're highly stereotyped. It happens like every 0.8 seconds or something. And Mm -hmm. it's like the same for genders. And then for some women that she's looked at, they're like, yeah, I definitely just had an orgasm. It was great. Like they masturbate with this magic wand. Like Mm -hmm. they think they get off. And she just doesn't see those contractions anywhere. So she's like, is that not an orgasm? Are they coming close to orgasm and they don't even know what an orgasm is? Or is there another part of orgasm for women that might just be more of a mental state? So they measure brains too, which is still like slow in the process. But it's kind of crazy, you know, Women don't have to orgasm to reproduce. You know, men have have to orgasm. They get the semen out like those little buddies are swimming. But for women, it doesn't help them get pregnant to orgasm. So it's still sort of in the early phases. They're looking at the brain during orgasm. And Mm -hmm. Nikki Prousey, who's the researcher we talked to, um, she was at U- UCLA at the time, and she couldn't take money that she had gotten to s- to look into the female orgasm because they said they had to remove orgasm from the study in order to do it. Why? It's hard to do sex research in the States still. Like, as much as a sex-obsessed culture we live in, like, it's there's still this weirdness in academia sometimes about studying sex. You know, the protocol that they have for the research can be a little funny sometimes. You know, like, I'm going to have this person sit in a room and masturbate. Um, with a butt plug, and for some universities, they're not down with that. Is it that, like, they're concerned that it's going to be sexually inappropriate, like, harassing, or they think it's indecent? You know, I think some of it is just that they don't think that the fruits of that research are going to be valuable to society. I honestly think they just think it doesn't actually matter a whole lot. Maybe that's a really, really unfair interpretation, but I feel like, yeah. How very rude. (laughs) Female pleasure matters, yeah. too. <laughs> the, one, the one thing that I was going to say, though, about Nikki's research is that just kind of instinctively, it does sort of make sense to me. And I would say a lot of other people I've spoken to where, you know, as a woman, I've definitely found myself in situations where I'm like, was that an orgasm? I, I, I yeah. just think for me personally, it's not always super, super clear cut. Do they inform those women that you did not have the typical physiological reaction to orgasm? That's I, a really good I'm question. Not sure. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I feel like that would be a little bit cruel. Right? It's like, <laughs> it'd be cruel on one hand. And on the other hand, like, maybe, you know, maybe their brains are triggering the orgasm feelings without that. Mm. 
I suppose if listeners aren't sure whether or not they're having an orgasm, they can check if their butt's contracting during it, yeah, is just, what we just discovered. Yeah, just get a butt plug. <laughs> Nikki sent us some. We actually didn't use them. No. Uh, but we have these butt plugs that we can we can measure for ourselves if we're having orgasms. <laughs> I think the bravest thing you did was, Mona, you put on the, the little, like, head thing that monitors your arousal levels in your brain. And then proceeded to do what they usually do in their studies, which I believe they just showed porn. Yeah, I think normally they show porn and normally I think sometimes people masturbate to the porn. Oh, okay. There's different, well, they, they do just straight up looking at porn uh, and then they okay. have different studies where people masturbate. Mm, okay, well, yeah. So, so you were it. sitting there in this room full of people like looking at how aroused your brain was. Yeah. But then it's interesting though because it was still kind of ambiguous the answer. Like I thought I, I guess I kind of went into it thinking if my brain shows that I'm aroused that's fine. Like yeah. I, I, I'm not embarrassed of that reaction. Yeah. But actually when it came down to it the reaction that happens in the brain is actually kind of ambiguous and oh. it could have been arousal or it could have been disgust. Like of the ones oh. that we saw I thought like one was kind of good one of them you know, and I, I see this a lot in porn. Like, as far as I'm concerned, that penis was way too large. Like, way, way, way too large. <laughs> it also... didn't look comfortable. Like, in the I'm... video, the look on your face, Mona, when you're watching it, is that I'm like, I don't need to see the brain monitor. She is not aroused right now. She looks horrified at what she's They were, seeing. like, on some dirty stairs. <laughs> oh, were they? I don't remember those. Yeah. I remember the dirty stairs. I just remember the woman on, like, the silk bed sheets. Like, literally, it looked like a cobra. The penis looked like a cobra. It was horrible. Horrible. I, I think our brains are so much more complex than that. If it would, yeah. have, if it would have literally been like words coming up on the screen of like exactly what I wanted to do next, maybe I would have been like, "Oh, that's a bit embarrassing." But, you know. Yeah, that scene and just being in that made me realize like how far we still have to go mm-hmm. in terms of brain research, especially for like during arousal and orgasm. They still just don't know a lot. I mean, it seems like we also just don't know why women have orgasms. Period. Yeah. There's a recent piece that came out in Nature that says maybe it's a descendant of when women did actually let go of an egg when they orgasmed. Oh, Like that could potentially be like our early ancestors. But again, it's not totally clear. Yeah. I mean, so does it matter? Does it matter that like, you know, like, you know, we I think we kind of say in the video that technically speaking, the clitoris doesn't serve any purpose apart from pleasure. And that doesn't mean I'm about to go and cut mine off. No. Well, I mean, isn't that lucky? Like, of the vestigial components of our bodies, like, the tonsils just get sick. You don't need them. (laughs) Do I need a clit? I don't know. But, hey, that one's good. I'll keep that (laughs) one, you know? Who cares? I also had no idea that there was a whole internal structure of the clitoris. Like, Mm -hmm. I just had no idea, which is kind of sad. (laughs) Which is what you say people theorize the G-spot could be corresponding with is putting pressure on the internal portion of the structure. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. There hasn't been a study that was like, here is the G-spot in every woman. Mm-hmm. Like, they found that it that there's like, you know, like a walnut-type ribbing back there that some women can feel, but it's not 100% sure that, like, we have a G-spot. It could just be, like, the, the erect clit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mona, you mentioned in this—I don't know if you want to talk about this or not— you mentioned that you hadn't had an orgasm until last year. Yeah. <laughs> had you thought you were orgasming before? No. Nope. <laughs> and you just sort of didn't mind? It didn't actually bother me a huge amount, if I'm honest. Yeah. One thing that didn't actually make it into the video, probably because I was laughing so much as I was telling the story, is how my first orgasm happened. What? Um, so Don't I... tell me it had a seesaw involved. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, I think seesaws will never turn me on for the rest of my life. <laughs> as opposed to uh, as normal people who love seesaws. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, people like sex swings. There must be some people who like sex seesaws. Anyway, um, it's complicated. <laughs> um, and let's not go down that route. Uh, so yeah, I hooked up with a guy um, called Barbie, <laughs> like Barbie and Ken. <laughs> yeah, okay. I love the way you have to clarify because the accent. Because the first time I told the story, people were like, "So what? His name was Bobby. You're such yeah. a snob." And I was like, "No." <laughs> Barbie. <laughs> yeah, get your American accent on for that one. Um, Barbie. Um, who, uh, this is going to sound really, really ruthless. And honestly, if it was a guy that was telling this story, I would kind of judge him a little bit for sounding quite offhand. But basically, I wasn't really so interested in old Barbie. 
And he wasn't interested so much in me. It was like just a hookup thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually not necessarily caring a whole lot about the relationship or where it was going was really emotionally liberating. And it was just sex. And mm-hmm. I just came. And I just came every single time. And it was just great. Did you tell him that it was the first no. time you orgasmed? No, because I didn't care about Barbie. Barbie didn't need to know my surname, let alone it was my first time <laughs> That's So uh, had you been enjoying sex before? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Is there a correlation between you not knowing that you had labia minora and also not having had orgasms until Barbie got things moving? Or is that just a coincidence? Uh, and I think the fact that I didn't know I had labia minora is probably because I didn't masturbate. Like... Yeah, only, you just sort of hadn't yeah, like, looked around. Yeah. The only way I ever was like anywhere near my vagina, I guess, was when I was wiping it or washing it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, for, and for the record, I don't think that there's any reason why like having orgasms early or late in life or ever, like there's no normative. As you point out, when you are talking about the orgasm gap, um, I believe, Mona, you say it's not about whether women are having orgasms as often as men. It's whether they're having them as often as they would like to have them. Yeah, I feel like and this is hopefully something that we got across in this video and we'll probably touch on in the next. You know, we're not saying every woman woman should be masturbating all the time and having sex all the time in order to maximize their pleasure. Like. I don't really mind the fact that I wasn't masturbating when I didn't want to be masturbating. That isn't what bothers me. I guess what bothers me is is some of the underlying reasons why I wasn't masturbating. You know, like it's not the fact that I wasn't masturbating. It's the fact that I didn't feel good about myself. Those are the issues that yeah. need addressing. But I think it's funny. It is weirdly, weirdly taboo. Like I think me and my girlfriends are so close. Like there is nothing that we wouldn't talk about. Like... You know, it's so weird that I would describe in great, great, great detail to my closest friend like a shit that I did. And how it was like so epic. And I'm like, you do, <laughs> you do like to describe your DMs in great detail. Like, you know, like we never ever talk about masturbation. Like yeah. I don't even know if my closest friend masturbates because I know that she wouldn't feel comfortable if I asked her that question. Well, I feel like recently, like I just saw a friend and I started talking about some of these things just out of curiosity. I'm yeah. like, yeah, like I can't just have like external stimulation on my. Clip, that's not going to be the only thing that works for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like curious to know what and works for other people. Did she respond to it of just yeah. like offering up? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She said it works for her. I'm like, it's nice. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. I was really shocked when I discovered one of my friends who I talk about sex with all the time. And then somehow, like, offhandedly, it came up that she never owned a vibrator in her life. And I was like, Hold, what? And I was just shocked. I've never owned a vibrator. I mean, I guess maybe I'm not so normal in that respect. But I also think a lot of my friends don't. But who knows? Because we don't but talk you know about what? it. And then it was sort of the reason why, you know, that she's like, well, I've always been having, you know, like, I got a vibrator because at some age I was kind of like, I think, you know, that I was, I was like, oh, wait, that's an orgasm. And I was like, ah, what do you do to make this happen? I've heard about this thing, you know. And may you actually point out that the way you sort of phrase it is that, you know, not that not masturbating or not giving yourself orgasm is such a terrible thing, but you go, sometimes I just don't have the patience for it. And it's sort of that, like, whether you do or don't feel like investing the time and whether it's a moment in your life when you do be like, okay, I have the patience to, like, work on this. Yeah, which is, I think, I wish that I gave myself that time. Like, instead of taking a bath, like, maybe I should just be, like, working on making myself come. I don't know. <laughs> Probably would have some good health. I mean, I think it would help with other areas yeah. of my life, too. And it's just something that I don't give myself the time to do those things sometimes. And it's funny because I feel like we've had that conversation a lot of times and it kind of goes around in a circle, but there's no clear answer as to why. Like, why is it that having a bath is kind of like an okay thing to do for yourself, but masturbation feels like the one thing that you can just snip out that isn't really necessary in your day? Yeah. Why? I just, we don't really get to an answer. On I mean, I think for me, I... I have wanted a visual stimulus. And I think for a long time, I just didn't mm. put in the effort to find porn that I liked. And now yeah. like, I have found porn that I like, but it, you know, I can't just go onto the front page of Pornhub and like find And something. that is also an exhausting process of like, yeah. not just patience, but like the emotional endurance to like get through the porn until you're like, yeah. so what keywords are going to bring up the things yeah, I like, want to see? How can I make sure I don't see any stepdaughters? Yeah. 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 And it is a big turnoff and it just stopped me from like, 
digging in further. There is stuff out there that's good for women, but it just you have to go through a lot of shit. Do you do the thing whenever I find porn that I like? All of the ads are so traumatizingly disgusting (laughs) that I have to pull in the like margin of the web browser so I see none of the ads. Yeah, and they're all gifts as well, so they're like harrowing. Because do you see this? Like the the ads that are gifts. That yeah, are just like such a distraction from the thing that you're trying to like watch. I really, really still think I don't know if now is the time or the place to say it, but instead of a feminist book club, like I really want to join like a feminist porn club where we just like exchange links to like good porn that we've seen. Alana's Alana producer Alana is <laughs> nodding her head from the control no, no, room. I think, I think we need I to think start we need to make it. it happen. We could set up a Google form where you just submit links anonymously, and yeah. then each month we send out all the links that we got. Yeah, I'm down. Okay, we're going to yeah. make that happen. Okay. This is a good idea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Feminist porn club. I love that. So what's coming up and what's left with the vagina dispatches? What, what can we look forward to? Episode four. Talk about the sex ed that we wish we had, uh, but it's not like so dry. Yeah. Necessarily. That does sound kind of, we really struggled with the title for this actually because we didn't want it to sound dry. And I think part of the reason why it sounds dry is because most people's sex ed was super dry. <laughs> dry is not a great word no, to no. use with vaginas. <laughs> well, maybe it's perfect. Like my sex ed did not turn me on to sex. It left me no. feeling very dry. Yeah. Yeah. And just scares you. Did you... Talk or read at all. Peggy Orenstein, who wrote the book Girls and Sex, she actually, in language that is almost sort of like radically feminist, describes mainstream sex ed in America and American culture as performing the psychological equivalent of a clitoridectomy, which she says because if you look when every single time you look at the diagram of labia majora, minora, you look at the cutaway of the uterus, and there's just no arrow pointing that says clitoris. And part of the reason is that there is, quote unquote, no purpose. Or, you know, in the book, there's a chapter when she goes and sits in a sex ed class where all they say is just, and that's the clitoris. It makes good feelings. And she points out that it's sort of like silly as it is, as much as kids don't want any of that information coming from the gross grownups they know, that she's like just planting that one piece of information can make a big difference. There's that, you know, and then you can imagine even further of whether, you know, how much masturbation should or should not be discussed in sex ed. But even if it's just something as tiny as in the textbook where they have the diagram, just have something pointing to the clitoris. Yeah. you got to talk about the Grey's Anatomy book. Oh, yeah. Well, and also, so for this internal clitoris, like, there hasn't been, you know, in in the most recent version of Grey's Anatomy, which is mm-hmm. a medical book that most med students right. use, the most recent version does have the internal clitoris. But mm-hmm. long before that, they would have no diagram that even showed what the internal internal clitoris looks like. Why? Did they, did they not know it was there? They did know it was there, like, because they, you know, back in the day, they would do, um, they would look at cadavers and yeah. they could see the internal structure of the clitoris. But then it sort of, like, goes in and out of history a lot. That is Very bizarre. Str- yeah, it's really mm-hmm. strange. And, like, they did the first MRI of an erect clitoris in 1998. You know, there's just, like, some clear gaps in knowledge, too. You know, like, I wish I had just seen what the whole clitoris looked like in in a textbook when I was younger. I just mm-hmm. had no idea. So even when they're doing that weird thing where they cut the lady in half and show you what it would look like if you're, like, bisected, they don't they hadn't been putting See, that in even there. that's really interesting because in the UK, we don't get that. I never got any woman cut in half. I just got the internal stuff. That was it. I think and, I know that. And a diagram of, a, of an infant girl's um, vagina. Ew. Yeah. Isn't that Why? even no, worse Just a diagram, yeah, uh, in child development. Oh. Like, literally, this is a child's penis. This is a child's vagina. I think I think about the cut-in-half lady all the time just because that's the one that, like, in the instructions of how to insert a tampon, you know, that they show the sort of mm. cutaway of, like, this is what you're putting it in. This is probably roughly the angle you're going to be working with. Um which, by the way, I couldn't, uh, partly again, this is the thing of like not having masturbated. I didn't use tampons until two years ago either because I was just like, I don't know how to put that in. Which is shocking. I literally had no idea where my vagina was. You know, it's kind of crazy. I had my first period when I was like, I think later than most of my friends. I was like maybe like 15 or something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be like, it's my first period. So I just casually asked a girl that I was like, do you have any tampon? Or is or like, I'm having my period. Like, do you have anything? You know, and this girl in my school just like handed me 
a box of tampons. So I fucking, I looked at the cutaway lady and I studied it and was like, all right, I'm going to do this. So <laughs> you left the applicator in, didn't you? I hear this no. all the time. Women just leaving the applicator in the first time they use it. No, because I really followed the directions okay, step good by for step. You, Maureen, that I was yes. like, one, two, three. So maybe that's why the like cutaway woman was so like influential to me because I was like, all right, I have learned this. I have championed it. But of course, there's so much more to learn as I discovered watching the vagina dispatches. <laughs> I don't know if this is really, really cheesy, but I do kind of, I mean, I think it probably is quite cheesy because the chances that any of these people are actually listening. But we're just so grateful to everyone who took the time to like write messages and and emails and comments on the videos. And there have been so many of them. And just it's so encouraging and inspiring to see these women taking like 10 minutes, half an hour of their day to like share their experiences with you. Yeah. It's been amazing. Yeah, yeah we've had some... Amazing notes. Like the first video, we had this woman, she said, I'm 51 years old and I didn't know where my pee hole was until today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And just... Also, people just asking us for advice, like the the flatulence one. A woman, a woman, was she in her 50s? I think so. A woman, a woman wrote to us saying... I'm in my 50s. And this is what we mean as well about how your vaginas change. And Mm -hmm. as a woman, you should know about this stuff and be prepared for it. Like, I didn't know this is something that happens. And I'm sure it's not just her. She said that each time she has sex with her partner, when she feels close to orgasming, she also feels like she's about to fart. And she kind of ended the email being like, what should I do? Oh, no. We're like, like, we're not medical professionals. (laughs) I know. I mean, a little part of me just wants to be like, Babes, just fart. Just fart. It's fine. <laughs> well, does she but, know if she'll fart? Has she, like, let it go? Like, like does she then... That's what I want to know. Like, she feels like she's going to fart. Does she orgasm and fart then? Or is it that she feels like she is, but it, that's not what happens? Yeah. She. It seemed like it was holding her back from orgasming. Like, this, oh. this feeling that she was about to have a lot of flatulence, as she So she it. pulls herself back. Because you have to be in a, a yeah. psychological and emotional place where you can feel like you can do that. So Interesting. You know what else, though? Because people also say that when they are about to squirt, a lot of women think they're about to pee because yeah. it feels similar. And, like, I really feel that this woman should let herself fart because who knows what kind of special orgasm she's about to unleash <laughs> yeah. or she's just going to fart, you know? Yeah. If that's yeah. the case, too, then, like, whatever, deal, move on. I know. I wanted to write back and be like, are you sure it's not a queef? Like, maybe it's, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a, queef. it's a queef. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that'll be our advice. Queefs happen. My special facts about myself that no one actually gives a shit about, but <laughs> that, I really That will about. not be included in any of the it episodes. will never be included. An exclusive, right? Right now. <laughs> I've never ever queefed. Never. It was a shock the first time I queefed. It's only happened like a couple of times in my life. And every time I'm like, what? And then I start laughing hysterically. I mean, I'm, I shouldn't express pride over it because it happens to all women and it's nothing disgusting or like no, weird or whatever. I've queefed but it's many just, times. Yeah. It's just weird that it's never Isn't happened. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Maybe I have like a real suction grip on the old. <laughs> Um, a reminder that listeners can also always call in and leave a voicemail for us. That line is 646-494-3590. Right. How do you feel about your vulva? How do you feel about your vulva? How did you discover orgasm? Mm-hmm. And what information do you wish you had, maybe? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe also it would be quite good, because everyone we've spoken to is like, this was missing from my sex ed. It would be really great to hear from someone who thinks they had like a fantastic sex ed and what was on that syllabus. Yeah. If you feel like you learned things well, how was it brought to your attention? Mm. Who told you what a clitoris was? Or if you needed to be told. Yeah. So what was missing from your sex ed or what was done totally right with your sex ed? So that number is 646-494-3590. Call in. Hopefully we'll be able to play them a little later. Maybe you guys can come back with episode four and we can listen and talk about that. Thanks for having me. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Maureen. Thank you. Bye. Well, that's it for Sex Lives. Thank you so much to our guests, Mona Chalabi and May Ryan. Their first three episodes of The Vagina Dispatches are all up on TheGuardian.com right now. The fourth episode is coming up on November 18th. Sex Lives is produced by Afim Shapiro and Alana Milner. And thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. It is also amazing how, like... 
things you think will never happen to you can randomly happen mm, at some point. Maybe I'll queef this evening. Yeah. Maybe I'll queef as soon as I leave this studio. You keep hoping throughout the course the day of making your this. first queef. It'll be so exciting. Yeah. I want to know what it's going to sound like. I've asked May to do some impressions. <laughs> <laughs> that will, I will not be doing here. <laughs> um. 